episode 12 featuring James Roberts on the Nine Point Start the Dream podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the Nine Point Start the Dream podcast. I'm your host, Colby Gillum. This episode, we have James Roberts, the Paralympic athlete from the UK. So we go through James' journey from the early days and kind of the mindset and the frame that he kind of used to help him achieve his dream as an athlete. Hope you enjoy, and here we go. I grew up in a military background. Uh, my father was in the US Air Force, and my mother worked for NATO, which is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. So I've had that upbringing within the military, well, gosh, from the age of birth until I was about 19. So that that's probably instilled the values of work ethic. Uh, it's probably one of the factors as to why I've gone into sport anyway. And it's kind of, uh, I never, I ne- probably early days, and I think probably the same with you as a youngster, you have that aspiration of reaching the, the heights of becoming a professional athlete. I think it wasn't until I was probably my early teens I thought, well, having a disability, uh, I wanted to be either play basketball or play soccer. Obviously, uh, that's not physically possible with the disability. So I got to that age of thinking, well, what else could I do? And then it, disability sport kind of fell into my lap. It was one of my coaches on the base said to me, had you thought about doing disability sport? cut a long story short it kind of snowballed from there I think initially that comment probably took me aback because I think I was about 15 and it was probably my way of challenging authority thinking hang on a minute I can compete against everybody individuals within reason why would I want to and I think because my disability Jacoby is not that visible, not that holding me back that much. I think at that age, it's like, well, why would I want to? And I kind of look down on on the Paralympics and maybe disabled people because you don't generally see a lot of people like that. So I think it's it was definitely a mindset. I definitely saw myself as able-bodied within reason. And it, it, it's I think when people ask me that question today, do you wish you were able-bodied I said no because it, it helped me propel me to probably what most kids have the aspiration of being sports style okay it's probably nigh on impossible if not unrealistic goal to have at all and I think I was talking to somebody on my show I think it's under one percent that actually do make it and I think that's in the US and you probably put it worldwide it would be even smaller so I'd say to people, oh, yeah, I have been able to achieve my goals, but I did have at the back of my mind, and I think sport instilled me in that, you still have to do well in the classroom. And I'd, I'd say that to your listeners. It's like, uh, and I and I push more people that are quite sporty now, if you are good at sport, because I think you've got that system in place in the US, utilise your sport to get yourself an education, and then you're set up for life then. So it's looking more that way. And it's more, I think my story is probably trying to inspire and probably giving people shortcuts as to, I had to learn along the way, but if I can give you a helping hand to 
probably go on my shoulders to not have to uh, experience some of those uh, fallbacks and whatnot. And kind of you, you don't have to go down the, the hard route if you don't have to. You need to learn from past generations that are better, really. Definitely, man. That's, I think that's key. So, so what, what, what exactly is your disability? When, uh, like, like, can you describe it for us? Uh, the medical term for it, Jacoby, is femoral dysplasia. And the simplest way of explaining it is how I do it to some people that don't understand the medical stuff, jargon that goes with it. It's, it's similar to an amputee. However, what I don't have, let's see if I can get this right now, I don't have a femur bone, so the top half of the thigh. I've got a small tibia and small fibula, so the, the lower half of the leg. No knee joints. Uh, I've got a floating hip, so that basically means the socket itself is just floating around in muscle. So in essence, I have the bottom half of my leg attached to the hip. Okay. All right. I'm kind, of, I'm kind of envision that, trying to see how, how, it, how, it, how it feels, but I don't know. Like, so when you're growing up and playing sports, so how was that for you? Like, um, I think, I think when in terms of basketball and, and that, it would be basically in P in school. And it was probably, I know it would be nigh on impossible to do, maybe do games, but that's, it's probably utilizing your skill set. Obviously, in a recreational standpoint, you could do that because you could play half court and things like that. But if you put that over into a competitive environment, obviously, I wouldn't be able to succeed. So I think what my mother did when I was younger was try to find sports that I wouldn't be, so to speak, on a, a disadvantage and kind of being on equal footing. So it would be, what did I do when I was younger? Uh, I think the sport, first sport I did was karate, but that was probably instill. Uh, that this the the the, uh, the discipline, the respect, and things like that. I went on to do swimming later on when I was about eleven, and that was kind of what springboarded my career. Was that, and it was probably speaking to coaches. Well, how can we use your advancement in your physical attributes? Obviously, not having two legs, I'm going to be become. Uh, more prominent in my upper body. So it was utilizing that. Well, okay, let's use that as a strength. So I started the butterfly stroke at that particular time and being in the what would it be, late 90s. A lot of swimmers in that environment weren't doing it at that age. So I was able to utilize my upper body as a strength, go into that uh, and kind of go from there. I was using a strength and... Well, it's it's not the easiest stroke to get your head around because it's very technical. And I think because I was stronger upper body, I could kind of overcome that limitation. So what helped you throughout all the years know that I'm going to be an athlete despite all like anybody else thought about your limitations? What made you think like, I'm going to make this happen? I think it's twofold, Jacoby. I think it's, that support network around you, bit family, friends, coaches. And then I think I had that desire and drive to, if anybody said, well, you, I don't think you can do this. This isn't, you're, you're not, you know, like that kind of negative wording. It's like, well, okay, 
I'm going to purposely go out there and prove you wrong. So I think it's, it's, I think it comes down to maybe my, the psyche, the mindset I had and very much that drivenness to say, well, okay, you, you think this way, I'm going to do everything in my power to prove you wrong. Definitely. So, so how does the, how does the process work to get to the elite level as a, as a pair athlete? So you, so you're playing younger. How did you like progress that journey? I'd say, well, there's an element of luck in there. Um, I got into it basically because of that coach saying, well, why don't you try it? Uh, I spoke to our head coach. I was fortunate enough being overseas. Uh, he knew a coach of another team uh, down the road and they gave me his contact details. I got in touch with them. Uh, it would have been, I think, about three to six months later, I went down to their training session in the summer and they thought I'd be run of the mill. Did the training session. My mother was on the side with the team management. And it wasn't until I got back in the car after the practice, she said their eyes lit up once she saw the training. So it was kind of from there, it gave me the confidence to say, okay, this is possibly a reality to progress up to higher, higher echelons of sport. Did I think, envision that I'd make a Paralympics? And all honesty, no. Uh, and it's just it's just to seem that everything seemed to fall into place as my career progressed. So I think it's there's an element of luck. It's been in the right place. Obviously, you've got to be talented, as as you know, and 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 put that all those three into it. And obviously, you got to have that work ethic. And it's it was that drive. Okay, I want to not watch it on television. I want to experience it. Once I got a taste of one, okay, I want to compete at the next one. And it was, it's, it's, I think now, now I'm a bit older. I think once I'd retired, I think that the early days of that, thinking, well, I'm still capable of this. I think that's where the frustration comes in because you start uh, demonizing yourself. It's like, well, I used to be able to do this. Why can't I do, I don't know, what training? Things I used to obviously age is a factor. Uh, the amount of training you do is gonna compact on on that. So that that frustration is like, well, I used to be able to do this, I can't now. But now, oh gosh, what we now five years removed from that decision, I can reflect on it and say, well, not many people have managed to do go to two go to to go to one games, let alone two. And I think I was maybe so harsh on myself back then because when you make it to the high levels you have the aspiration where you want to go to the heights at highest possible level you can so you want to win the event okay i've got the realization now it's not not everybody can achieve that goal because if it was that easy obviously as you know everybody would be doing it and it kind of demeans the actual event itself so it's like well i've done this there's not many people in my local area have achieved those feats. There are one or two, but those are obviously diamonds in the rough, so to speak. So you don't see everyday people. I think people come up to me and say, well, what you've achieved is quite remarkable. I'm, I'm probably very much humble. It's like, well, I don't like blowing my own trumpet. Yes, they're quite surprised. Oh, but we didn't know you'd done such and such because i think it's because i think because an athlete lives in that moment you kind of move from one time period from the same so the same with like when you went to college 
that's a time frame in your in your in your life. Well, it's not going to impact on what I'm doing now, so to speak. It's kind of like I've done it. It's it's. I would say you you would put it more like a an achievement on your CV, and you move on. And so I think I surprise people like that. Well, why don't you talk about it? Okay, it's inspirational, but is it, is it really going to impact on somebody's life? Possibly, but probably not because it's my achievements, accomplishments. Is it going to help them succeed? If they if they took on some of the the work ethics uh, and the things that I do, yes. But the actual sporting actual sporting context probably not so that's probably why I don't talk about it. but when people look to be humble and say well James has done such and such I don't know it can go two ways sometimes it's over kind of overalls me and you think you get quite embarrassed it's like I've not achieved I've not done anything really successful like it's done something for charity or help somebody in need or and then sometimes it's like well yeah I have actually done quite a lot in well, what would be a, say, 15-year career. I've done quite a lot in my 30 years on the planet. So, it's yeah, it's quite uh, rewarding to hear, well, you're quite successful and you have done quite a lot in that short space of time. So it's kind of both ways. I think it depends day-to-day how I take it. For sure. I think a lot of athletes, we, we're all kind of hard on ourselves mm. and we don't really see everything that we've done. People are kind of around us are like, yo, you did, you did X, Y, then you're like, yeah, but I wanted I wanted to do so much more, and I think we kind of we kind of we kind of lose. I wouldn't I wouldn't say being gratitude, but just kind of just more of just perspective on like on on the other things that we kind of we have achieved. So I mean, like I probably don't want to hear it, but like you know, like you've done some dope things. Like you've done some things that people probably like dream of. But would you not agree, Jacoby, but that that we are looking at probably not the say say the flaws, but we look at more where we went wrong in a specific, I don't know, say, for, for example, you in a game, you're going to look where you could have done better as opposed to what you did well. I think, I think we're very much, I think it's a societal thing. We look at our negatives, it's easier to pinpoint those out. But I think from a sporting context, you're trying to iron those out impossible. So, uh, oh, oh, definitely. In 2005 now, I'd just gone to university uh, on, well, you couldn't say swimming scholarship, but I was based at that university because of swimming. Uh, With the national program, you've got to hit certain criteria each year to stay on the national program. So I think they dropped the the event that I was on the national program for was breaststroke. I didn't hit the I didn't hit the time criteria that we have to do, and subsequently it was dropped. And I probably sell this story. I haven't told it in a while, but I thought this coming up to the Christmas period. I thought, well, I'm going to come back to university in in January and be a student. Uh, I spoke to our performance director at Disability Sport Wales, and he know he knew of the situation, and he said to me what's your thoughts on doing rowing? So I'm quite close with my mother anyway. So I rang her up once I'd finished this phone call 
I've been on the phone to our performance director and he said, what, what, what are your thoughts about doing rowing? And I think this, this comment my mum said to me always comes up. Uh, she said, well, you could, you could be good at it or absolutely useless. So I said, well, I've got, I've got nothing to lose. Let's, let's take a, a punt at it and see what happens. And uh, went down to, uh, you could say, so to speak, a selection trial, I think it was about two months later after this phone call. And they were quite impressed. Um, they said to me, uh, don't worry about the World Championships coming up in the summer. Think about next year. And I once got back in the car with the director. I said, no, 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 I'm not doing that. I'm not waiting a year. I'm, I'm going to make sure I make that team. And obviously subsequently did. And the, and the kind of the rest is history when, when, rowing, comes, uh, when rowing is concerned. For sure. So, so when you were like, I want to compete that summer, you found learning a new sport, so how do you kind of make that transition to compete at a higher level that summer? Um, I was probably fortunate enough it was in its infancy, the sport. So it's, it's what were we now? That was 2006. The sport is, is, is almost unrecognizable in, well, we'll say 2017 because at 18 I've not seen it. But it, is gone, it has come a long way in a decade so I was probably fortunate I'm learning on on the fly so to speak so it's I was fortunate to come to be coming from swimming which is an aerobic sport as well so it was just getting my head around the the training the, probably the mindset of the importance of strength and condition which back in when I was swimming it's like well I had this silly mindset that how is strength and conditioning going to help me in the swimming pool? Whereas I would say to any athlete now, it's a pretty naive way of thinking because if you can get stronger and you have those technical components, it's going to put you in, in a better position, be it prevention of injury, and you name it. Whereas I think I was maybe a little bit naive thinking, well, why should I do this when I'm going to get the training components from from the from the pool whereas i think i think i'd be well i think it was probably compounded by i was doing a sports science degree so i think you're learning how the physiology uh biomechanics and definitely the psychological elements help with sport at that time so i think it was i was utilizing what i was learning in the lectures uh in the labs and implementing in sports. So I think it was, I was being able to accelerate probably my learning processes a lot quicker. And in all honesty, I had to change probably how I train because going from development stage, you're prepared for the future. Whereas now I'm in that performance state and being very much, well, okay, I have to now have to deliver. So it's very much getting your head right around it. It's okay. I haven't got time to uh, not learn, but develop. I've got to get the training done, get as strong as I can, get as fit as I can to be able to perform at be it world champs, Paralympics straight away. And it was definitely, it's just definitely that mindset switch. Whereas if I happen to come out of retirement now, that's not a difficult mindset shift so to speak to do because I've had to do it in the past I know that environment firsthand 
and you kind of you so to speak probably in the analogy of dr water i know what i have to do to do it so when people say oh i think it was in the lead up to rio so we're talking about what was it five five six years ago people say well i was having starting to have doubts about retirement because i just didn't want to put my body through that anymore and people say well why do you want to do that and these are i think what would it be about 15 16 year old kids at high school well you only see, I don't know if we use the analogy of the Olympics, three weeks of that person's career. I've lived the other three and a half years in between. So I know the rigors of getting up, at, if we use the example of when I went into volleyball, I had to practice six in the morning every single day bar the weekends. Most people are not going to do that. And you had to do that. There's days that obviously I didn't want to get up at that time, so it helps that you have co- you've got teammates to say, banging on your door, come on, it's time to get up and go to practice. So, and, and you've got to have that mindset. I think it does um, surprise people that to, to hear that. Well, why do, you do, why do you do that? Well, I have that mindset sometimes, not now, but back then, that you kind of flip that switch. Well, if I don't do it and somebody else is, I've fallen behind them. So I've put myself on the back foot from the get-go. So I think that helps to have that kind of mindset. Well, you can kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of trick yourself mentally to, and I can't think of the actual word now, um, to probably perceive that a person is doing it and to make you do it. And possibly, say, say we use that example of Christmas Day. Well, most athletes aren't going to train Christmas Day. But okay, you've got the, maybe the 1%, it might even be smaller than that, that do. And they probably use that mindset. Well, I'm going to perceive that the person that won't do it does to make me do it. So and, and it's that, I think that's that 1% at that top level that we talk about probably going to medals because of that kind of mindset. That's dope. Yeah, that one percent mindset. So, so what was it like when you when you when you competed in your first world championship? First world champs, it was lucky enough to be in this in the UK. So that was quite uh, a good experience because you got friends and family. Um, obviously, there's no language barrier. Uh, be it there was no expectations to actually do anything, so it, the pressure is off. Um, by the time it come round two years later and being the first Paralympics, it was the first games rowing that I competed in. So it was kind of those milestones. So it was, I think, within the media, what we would splurge out would be um, very much, uh, what do we talk about? Just reaching the final uh, and things like that. But internally within the team, it was okay. The final is nice but we want to go and medal. So it was that internal pressure. Okay. I think if I use, I use probably the, how I actually felt. Um, it was that element of excitement because it's like, well, I'm getting to the stage where I'm being able to realize a dream. I think when we were selected initially, I think it was about a hundred days out before the, the Beijing Paralympics, people said, are you not excited? And I think it comes back to, because my family is somewhat pessimistic, they think of the what if something could go wrong. Um, I think I've got still got that mindset. 
I think I said on that day, well, still 100 days go, anything can happen, could get injured, you name it. So I think it wasn't until probably about a, maybe a week, maybe a bit less, that it actually dawned on me. It's like, okay, I'm going now. I can kind of feel happy <laughs> happy about it uh, and, and kind of enjoy the exp- the experience. And I think once you got in, once the event actually ro- rolled up, I think the he- the heat. I was a bit nervous because you don't know what to expect. You don't know have, have you have you done? Well, I know what I've done enough. I've done as much as I can. There's nothing I can do in terms of practice now. It, everything's done. Uh, if it isn't enough, if it, if the other teams are better, there's nothing you can. You have to wait for the result. Okay, we can kind of see now that we got some work to do. Um, but then if we kind of roll forward and look to the final. And if I look at my rowing career, what would that be? About five years long. For that Paralympic final, I was the rela- most relaxed I have ever been in my entire sporting career. And I do, I do not know why. Uh, I don't know why I've been, I've been more stressed in uh, events, be it in my teens, which in comparison uh, are probably low levels and, and virtually no significance. Been more stressed in that than actually, well, for Paralympic sport is there is nothing higher and I've been stressed after in other events since so you're thinking well I, I don't know if it's because it was that outside perspective okay I've reached the final now from an outside perspective I've achieved what I said I would do now I've got nothing to lose but then you're thinking on the flip side of that internally we said we wanted to medal so so something what well, I probably look at it from this way, Jacoby. I think it maybe subconsciously, once you make the final, like as you know, with any sporting event, say track, things like that, anything can happen once you make the final. You have an outside chance of <laughs> being in the in the one of those six people. So I think it's maybe because of that that I was so relaxed. It's like, well, if everything fits into place. Yes, I could medal. Okay, there isn't, there isn't out, there is also that chance that I wouldn't. Okay, that was the case, but I think because you've got all those what if scenarios, if, if everything did go to plan, uh, that that could do. Yes, you could medal, and I think maybe that's maybe why I was so relaxed. Awesome, that's that's great for anyone listening right now. That you know, a para athlete, you know, able able body athlete, you know, athlete in general. What what would be like your advice just based on your journey? Like, what would be your advice to give them on just how to navigate it, or how to like maybe just keep keep overcoming obstacles or whatever it may be? Um, I think I think you're always gonna you're gonna have adversity and uh, obstacles in your way in any anything in life. It's it's probably oh, I think maybe athletes less so are uh, willing to take uh, not willing to. I think they are less so than the, say the general public to maybe shy away from it. Whereas I think an athlete will, to some degree, want to take a challenge head on. They want to, so to speak, if we use the analogy, they'd rather go through a brick wall than go around it or over it. So I think, I think if you've got a challenge, you've got nothing to lose. And it's, it's to take it on and, and to you never know where you're going to be. If I you if I say to myself, "Oh gosh, me as an early teen, 
look where I got to in my 20s. It is achieve. It is if you put in the work, let luck take the course to some degree and be in the right place. If you have that mindset to achieve, it's, it's probably reflecting on, well, as you say, it's looking at what your greatness is. Okay, I think as an athlete, you're going to, well, this is my bar here. I've reached it. I'm going to now move it. So it's looking to set those little goals and probably look to tick them off as you go along. And it's probably, I think maybe we look at the result, but I think we're as a, maybe a proportion of the popularity, uh, of the population, sorry. We do look at probably ticking off those processes in between to get to our results. Maybe not wholeheartedly looking at, I don't know, a calendar on the wall and ticking them off day by day. But I think subconsciously, okay, I've achieved this today. I've achieved that tomorrow and so on to get to, I don't know, uh, making a D1 school and whatnot. And obviously you're going to get to that, that, that goal of yours. I like it. Like embrace the journey. Like, like have those end goals, the know the process that, that you go through to get there makes it so much sweeter once you get there. Right. I would say that. I would say probably you could add to that. It's not forget. It's not forgetting about the enjoyment. It's remembering why you took up the, for, uh, the sport in the first place and keeping that at the back of the mind as you progress up, because once you lose that joy of doing something that you probably take for granted when you're younger, is that's probably the time to say, well, that's enough. I, I've, I've taught time to call it quits on the career because once you start loathing something, you're not going to want to do it. So it's probably not forgetting that enjoyment factor. Definitely. Love it, man. Love it, James. So, so I've kind of worked on wrapping up a little bit. Um, where, where can people kind of find more about more about you and what you're working on? Social media, websites, anything? Well, so social media, uh, Twitter. Do you want my Do you want my handle? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, handle away, and we'll, and I'll leave. Uh, my on. Twitter handle is James O Robert Eleven. Uh, well, Facebook as well, but that's probably more difficult. But the probably easiest one in social media would probably be t- uh, Twitter. Uh, I've got links to my website up through Twitter, or it would be what was it? Uh, the website is fit amputee, so it's all one word dot co dot uk. And obviously, I've got personal training business on that, and obviously, it involves um, obviously what I had to go through a little bit, I think, story wise, that we didn't go into depth in, and then also, I think, I talk about in a few articles, um, probably the mindset of the athlete and, and whatnot, and probably my own experiences of how I've had to deal with things as well. Awesome, man. I appreciate you having you on, James. Thank you for coming on, talking with me about this camera and sharing more of your story. Oh, it's my, it's my pleasure, Joe Kobe, and thanks for inviting me on. Thanks for checking out this episode of the Nine Point Startup with Dream Podcast. I was your host, Jacoby Gillum. If you enjoyed this episode, please comment, share, leave a review. We'd love to hear your thoughts. You can check out more about what we're doing with Nine Point at ninepoint.com. Till the next episode, talk to you soon.